It is so lovely to be with you, beautiful people. I, um, I have so deeply enjoyed this series. And then I, I got to this place where I realized, man, I am concerned that uh, we, we're getting people who are starting to go, I'm going to put my confidence in God, but you still don't have a glint in your eye and a bounce in your step. Because here's what can happen. You can put confidence in God in a way that doesn't change your confidence in the world. It, it is possible. It's called fate. It's when you go, God is big. He's got everything in his hands. He knows what's going on. I'm kind of clueless. I don't know what's going on, but I kind of trust him to be good with everything. It'll work out. That's called fate or predeterminism or there are lots of other words. It, it, it just, it is a confidence that doesn't require anything from you. And uh, what I realized is that kind of confidence kind of looks like an evergreen tree with wilted leaves. And, and I thought to myself, I need to help our congregation get glint in the eye, bounce in the step kind of confidence. And so that's where I'm going to try and go today. And uh, it's going to feel a little like it's going to jar you, but it's going to pull you into something that I believe God will bless you in. And halfway through, we're going to sing a song again. Now, if you were freaked out by how charismatic we were today, we are so glad that you are here. <laughs> we, we so want the presence of God to break in. You know, I can, I'm sure I can occasionally give a really good sermon that will touch your heart. But when the presence of God breaks in, it transforms stuff. And so as we throw little songs and stuff in, it's because we want the presence of God to break in. But this week, um, there, were, uh, there, was, there was big swell this week and last week. And uh, for, for those of you who don't surf, uh, for a lot of people in this room, uh, whenever there's big swell in Durban, we surfers get unbelievably excited. Now, when it gets really, really big, there, there are two places that are angry. The bluff is so angry. Those waves are so angry. I think it's because of all the stuff you oaks put into the water there. But it, it, it just, when the waves break there, they, they shout as they break, I want to kill you. That's, that's basically what happens in the bluff. And then there's town. Town is beautiful. It's nice and gentle. And, and when it gets big, it gets a little bit angry, but it's not that angry. And then as you go north, I don't know why, but out of the middle of nowhere at Glen Ashley, the wave just goes, come here so I can hurt you. So anyway, I, I thought to myself, I will go for a surf at Glen Ashley because I didn't have a lot of time. And I, I paddled out and it was brilliant. I, it wasn't like I got out with dry hair, but I just got through the waves and I was, I was out. And I caught a wave. And uh, after I'd caught the wave, I realized I rode that wave too far. And the reason I realized that is because all I could see was just set upon set upon set coming. And it smoked me, and I duck-dived, and I duck-dived. And after about the 30th duck-dive, I thought to myself, surely now I'm going to get out. But I made the mistake of looking backwards. And when I looked backwards, I realized the beach was there. <laughs> and I'd been paddling probably for 20 minutes, and the beach was right there. And I thought to myself, I just want to give up. 
Because the thing is, once you've been pounded again and again and again by waves, what happens in your brain is you stop imagining the barrel that you maybe might be riding. And you start imagining the coffee that you might be drinking. And when you've been pounded and pounded and pounded by life, you stop imagining, imagining the glint in your eye and the bounce in your step and the impact you can make in the kingdom, and you start imagining how you're going to watch series tonight and just survive. The book of Hebrews is to a group of people who have been pounded again and again and again and again. Life has hit them. The Romans have hit them. They've pounded them. Political situation has shifted where they're living. It's pounded them. They're finding the economy is pounding them. Taxes are pounding them. False teachers are pounding them. And it's just been one thing after the next after the next. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 10. It says this. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. Do not... Throw away your confident trust in the Lord for in a little while. Now, what I love about the book of Hebrews is that because the writer's writing to these people who've been pounded, he, he spends the first eight chapters trying to get them to realize how big Jesus is. And he does, he does this different thing. He compares. So he compares Jesus to angels. And he kind of goes, Jesus better than angels. And then he compares Jesus to Moses, who's like their hero. And he goes, Jesus better than Moses. And then he compares Jesus to the temple system. And he goes, Jesus better than the temple system. And then he compares Jesus to the priesthood, to this guy Melchizedek. And he goes, Jesus better than Melchizedek. And then he compares Jesus and his new covenant to the old covenant. And he goes, Jesus better than this old covenant. And, and he just keeps on for eight chapters, page after page, paragraph after paragraph, he's going, Jesus is better than this, Jesus is better than this, Jesus is better than this. And if he were to write it today, he would say, Jesus is better than Musk, Jesus is better than Marvel, Jesus is better than AI, Jesus is better than political solutions, Jesus is better than anyone you could date, Jesus is better than any thing around you, anything you could drink, anything you could drive, anything you could build, he, was, he would go, Jesus is better than that thing. You're not excited. The reason he says, Amen. Jesus is better, and he keeps driving this, I mean, eight pages, bang, bang, bang. bang. The reason he, he keeps driving this is because he knows that when you're in a crisis and you've been pounded and pounded and pounded by waves, you have 
to look at Christ in the crisis. Otherwise, you'll go and drink coffee. Because this writer, we think it's Paul, we're not so sure, knew a story about a wedding crisis where they ran out of wine. And then Mary, in the crisis, looked at Jesus, and Jesus turned water into wine. And he knew a story about another crisis on a boat when there was a storm, and Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples in panic woke him up, and Jesus spoke to the storm, and it stopped. And he knew about the crisis where Peter owed the tax collector, like some of you, a whole bunch of revenue. And Jesus said, go fishing, and there'll be a coin in its mouth, and he sorted out the tax. And he knew about the crisis where Jairus' daughter was sick and almost dead. And Jesus came into the crisis, and his daughter was raised to life. And he knew the story about Peter in a crisis where Jesus is looking like a ghost walking along. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me. And then in that moment, Peter begins to walk on water, which defies density laws. And he rises above his crisis because he's looking at Jesus. And then when he starts looking at his crisis again, the storm around, he begins to sink. And what this writer knows is that if I can get you to look at Jesus within your crisis, I can help you get over on top of your crisis because there is no crisis that you could possibly face that you could even imagine that Jesus doesn't have the resources and solutions to lead you through. There's, it is impossible for you to hit a crisis that Jesus doesn't have the resources and solutions for. And so he spends eight chapters trying to get us to see Jesus in the crisis. And then let's go back to this text. He says, remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering, even though you were pounded. You knew there were better things waiting back then. And so you accepted it with joy. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord for in just a little while. I don't know if you remember when you got saved. Uh, Some of you, it was a very long time ago. Some of you, it was last weekend. When I first got saved, I remember thinking to myself, whatever I ask, it'll happen. And my biggest ask was for a girlfriend at the time, which was why I was there in the first place. But I, I just, I was confident. And you see, when you're confident, you generally are happy. Confidence produces lots of hope. When you're confident, hope is at the root of that. And so you... You're generally happy. I remember when I got saved, I I felt that love that was so incredible. I thought to myself, oh, when she sees me, how will she resist? It was was just like, oh. My wife was still at junior school then. Anyway, I, I, I just, I knew God's got this. He's changed me. It's impossible that anything could go wrong. And then what happens is you do Christianity for a while and you stay single for a while. 
And if you get pounded enough, you get to the place where you start to lose confidence. Only the writer doesn't say you lose confidence. He says don't throw away your confidence. So what he's saying is, is your confidence is in your control. He's not letting us off the hook. He's not going, man, life hit you so badly. I understand whilst you lost your confidence. He doesn't say that. He says, no, 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 it's yours to lose. You're in control of your confidence in God. But he says, remember. The first thing he says, remember. Now, um, where's Rick? Rick, come, 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 come. And is Nicole joining with us? Come next. Okay. I'm going to steal you before you go there. I need props. Remember. I'm going to put you behind me. He goes, remember what Jesus saved you from. Remember back then when you were full of confidence. Remember then. And then he says, hey, Rick, where are you going? Come, come, come. Now bring your guitar. It's even better. Then he says, he says, don't throw away your confidence because in just a little while, just a little while, you will get the breakthrough. So first he says, look back and remember. And then he says, look forward because just a little while. I want you to look back first. Have you... I want you to just think about when you gave your life to Christ. How many of you, it was a big deal? Like, it was a life-altering moment. Just stick up your hand. It just it shifted you completely. Okay, so like two-thirds of the room. And for, for others of you, it was a slow, general thing. I, I was chatting to a friend the other day. She said to me, I was basically born in church. Uh, my parents didn't give me a chance. I tried to not be a Christian. It was impossible. They just beat me back in there. So there, there are people who've just kind of grown, grown, grown. But regardless, when you start to look back, when, when I look back at how hectically selfish and broken I was, and I remember what God did. I remember how he began to change my heart. And how he began to soften it. I, I remember how I looked in the eyes when, and looked in my eyes in a mirror the one day, and they were so hard. When I was a non-Christian, I looked and I, I thought, "Flip, you are hard." And then I, I got saved, and I went and looked in the mirror again, and I went, "Your eyes are so soft." Some of you are thinking, "Yes, this okay has lost the plot." I. <laughs> I could see my heart had changed. When I look back, and I remember the day we were hijacked, and then Amy ran because she's a gymnast, like pole vaulted over the fence, leaving me behind with the oak with a gun. I, I remember how God saved us there. And I remember when we were driving back from a wedding the one day, and uh, I was driving a little bit fast because I wanted to get back to the Springbok game, and I, I hit something in the rain, and, and our car did a and then spun this way. And I remember the guy who said to me, he stopped watching rugby because he felt like there was going to be an accident, so he got up and prayed, 
and we didn't, well, she had a scratch because God loves me a little more, but we didn't have any scratches on something. I remember that. I remember when I didn't have enough money for transport in Durban and Electra said to me, here, you can have this motorbike. And I, I remember God's provision, the cars he's given me, the, the way he's paid for my debt. I, I remember all the things he's done. You know why you have to remember all of that stuff? Because it keeps you sane when you're getting pounded and pounded and pounded. And a lot of you can't look forward because you haven't looked properly backwards. No, no, we can run that way and you can come there. Here's what I want to do. I, I, I was kind of making up this sermon as I went, but what I realized is that if you don't start speaking out, we call it Thanksgiving, remembering with God in it is called Thanksgiving. If you don't give thanks for what he's done, what happens is you become blind to what he can do. And so I know this is going to be a little bit much for some of you, but I actually know, I, I believe in my spirit, that as we stand, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're not a Christian, why would you do this? Just watch the other people. But if you're a Christian, I want you to stand and give thanks to God for the things that he's done and keep doing it. You don't have to shout it out. They'll sing over you, so don't worry about it. Just speak it out, speak it out, and just go, thank you, God, for my salvation. Thank you, God. I should never have got married, but you changed my heart, and you gave me a wife who was blind enough to see something. Like you guys, some of you need to thank God extra. There's, there's got to be a gratitude coming out of your mouth because it sets you free from from what happens because when you're stuck in this gap here that's when Satan hits you and the way he hits you he's going to hit you in three ways he's going to accuse you he's going to say if you were a little bit nicer if you were a better Christian if you were kinder if you were more loving then maybe this wouldn't be happening to you he's going to he's going to accuse you then he's going to he's going to literally lie to you he's going to go you are going to be here forever in this ditch in this hole you, you can't stay here. The, this country's gone to rack and ruin. Your business will never work. You don't have the skill for it. It won't work. He's going to lie to you. And then what he's going to do is he's going to try and tempt you. Now, this is why Thanksgiving is going to help you. The reason the devil tempts you is because when he tempts you, he violates your conscience. You see, some people aren't coming to church right now or joining online or whatever because of the thing on their phone and they're scared that someone will see it or because the money they owe to their business partner or their landlord. They've got a violated conscience. It's very hard to be confident with God when your conscience is seared. The problem is that what you need when your conscience is seared is the presence of God. Because it, it says in Hebrews 10, it says that by one sacrifice we have been cleansed forever. He has perfected forever those who are being made holy. And then he goes on to explain that, that the thing that we should go boldly or confidently into the presence of God, we go in by the blood of Jesus that cleanses evil consciences. And so Satan tempts us 
because it sears our conscience and then we, don't, we feel uncomfortable going into the presence of God. But what we have to do is go into the presence of God so that our conscience can be cleansed and generally in that space, we get the conviction to go and pay the dude back. Now, when you give thanks, what you're actually doing is you're going, man, Satan has lied to me. He has tempted me. I've given in. He has messed me up. But man, if you'd known what I was like then, and I managed to get here, then, then God can do anything. If he, could, if he could take an insecure man who was so desperately lonely and who had a speech impediment. Friends, I could not speak in public. And he could bring me to like a half normal human that I am today with God's love touching me. Man, he can do so much. Which is why these guys are going to sing and you are going to give thanks. You're just going to speak it out. You're not going to sing yet. Once you've finished saying thank you, thank you, thank you, then you can sing. Oh no, she's taking over. You are only half normal. It's fine. <laughs> Hello, Olive Tree. Ross doesn't know that I was coming up, so it's fine. I hope you guys don't mind. I just, um, thank you, Rick. And next, I just really wanted to start off our thankfulness. Is that okay? Do you guys mind if I share a quick testimony? Get them to stand. Is that all right? Will you guys stand with me? It'll be awesome. So I'll just, I'll share a really quick testimony and then, um, yeah, hopefully it'll stir some deep gratitude in your hearts. And uh, my apologies if I sniff and snort my way through this. Um, yeah. So in 2 Corinthians 12, for those of you who are familiar with Corinthians, Paul is speaking about he's got a thorn in his side and it's been really painful for, for him and he's been pleading for God to remove this thorn. I'm going to read. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Can we just say that together? My grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. Always available right now. His loving kindness and his mercy are more than enough for you. They are always available. It says, regardless of the situation, for my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in my own human strength, then I am strong, I am truly able, I am truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Um, those of you who know a little bit of my story, I've shared over the last little while, I was looking for a new premises for my school, couldn't find anything, didn't have any money. It was three days before I had to move out at the end of last year, and I, I found a premises, it was wonderful, didn't really have money for it, but like trusted God that the money would we'd make a plan. Um, and then in January this year, we figured out a plan to get the millions that I needed to buy this building. Phenomenal. I had some investors. I had to get a mortgage. And um, after a week of conversations with these investors, they started to get cold feet and said, it's, it's too risky. They're not going to invest. And um, so I had a property, but I had nowhere to work from for my 50 kids with special needs, nowhere to go, um, didn't have any money to buy it. And 
Ross met with someone and Ross then said to me, this guy wants to meet with you. I met with him. He said, I'm going to help you buy this property. I submitted some documents. Two days later, I got a phone call and they said, we're going to buy the property for you. Millions and millions and millions. We're going to give you all the money that you need to buy the property that you need. Now, I had no money. I had all the weakness in the world. I had no money. I had no strength left. I had been pounded and pounded and pounded and I'd been waiting. And I had a I had an idea, I had a glimmer of hope left. I knew that God was capable of providing, more capable than I could imagine, but I'd been pounded. I was weak in my human strength. But in my weakness, God's strength was made truly, truly manifest because He can provide abundantly and immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. So now I'm gonna rejoice in my weakness. I'm gonna rejoice that I didn't have money. I'm gonna rejoice that I probably don't have strength for the rest of this year, because in my human weakness, He is made strong. So I can say hallelujah to my weakness, hallelujah to where I don't have enough, to where it is sore, to where it is painful. If you are in a marriage and you're in pain, you can say hallelujah, in my weakness, I can't do this. But with God, I can. Can we start just by giving thanks together? Just speak out the things that you are grateful for. Thank Him for your weakness because He is going to come through with His strength. Jesus in fear, fear will never come. 
I'll wrap up now. You, you can grab a seat. The Bible says, look back, remember, give thanks. It is necessary that you give thanks so that you can look forward. See, if you don't give thanks, what generally happens is you, you land up with a lens, the pessimistic lens. It's very cool. And it squeezes God right out. It's too much of a mess. Can't get through this. Life is not worth it. Country's gone to the dogs. It's cool. It's easy to speak like that. But the lens will kill you spiritually. Some of us have got a realistic lens. You look very funny with these, but... uh, The realistic lens goes, outside of God, this is where we're at. It's a a realistic lens about the economy. It's a realistic lens about life. It's a realistic lens about all my mates are going. It's a realistic lens. Unfortunately, it has no God in it. And the results of realistic without God is that it can only really leave you sad. Pessimism will leave you in another country. Realism without God is going to leave you pretty sad. I tried to find pink roses gloss, rose glasses, but these are just 3D, so you look even worse. God expects you to have rose-tinted glasses because he says, my righteous ones will walk by faith. Now, this is the thing about faith. Once you've given thanks, it actually strengthens you up to look at things with faith. And this is what faith does. It causes Abraham, who's 100, to have a baby. It's faith. It causes Isaac, who's in a drought, to plant and produce a hundredfold. Faith causes Israel to walk through a sea on dry ground. Faith causes Joshua to lead men around Jericho until the walls fall down. Faith is the thing that raised widows' kids to life again. Faith caused droughts to end. Faith moves mountains and it shifts God. And I think we've lost our faith because we haven't understood that though we walk in the shadow, you know what, the, what a shadow is? A shadow is once something's passed by, all you have left is its shadow. COVID has passed by. We have a shadow. But we can't live as though we're living in the death itself. It's a shadow of death. And so we need faith now. We have to start re-looking at the world and re-looking at our lives with faith. We have to go, God, that promise you made to me, that prophecy you gave, that gift that you've, I've been sitting on that, that, that dream that I had, I've, I've let that thing die. I need you to stir that thing up inside of me. The church needs that stirred up inside of you. The world needs it. The city needs it. And if we don't start to stir it up inside of ourselves, we won't be an oasis. We'll be trees. We might even have a few leaves, but they'll be wilted. And my cry to God over this next season is that he'll put destiny back into the hearts of man so that we'll be able to grab hold of the gifts and we'll be able to see the world differently and we'll be able to stand up again and go, me, Lord, send me.
I'm your one. Before you even ask, my answer is yes. I'll do it. I let it die, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give thanks until it comes back to life because there's a calling on my life. This week, may God burn inside of you and may he bring dead things back to life in this church. May God bless you. And may his rod and his staff, may they comfort you. And may you be full. Amen. God bless. Have a good day.